0: You're listening to a sermon from Pascoe Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Uh, it's great to be here uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Mike. I, the last time I was here was maybe many years ago I was visiting, and it's great to be here again this morning. Let me pray, and then we can get into the, the Word. Dear Lord, thank you that you speak to us through your Word. Help us to hear your word, to learn and understand what you've prepared for each of us this morning. Amen. So I'd like to invite you to imagine with me in a minute, well, right now, what heaven might be like in your mind. Perfect place, place full of peace and joy, rejoicement, excitement, rejoicing. It goes on forever. I think all of us have some kind of picture like that. And I'd like you to also picture with me what the perfect church might look like. Would it be like a little bit of your picture of heaven? Would it be like a transplant of heaven on earth? Well, I hope not actually. I hope that actually you might picture a messy church. And uh, let let me explain. So in today's passage, we see two groups of people, uh, one of which are the Gentiles, or at least that's what they were called by the other group. Sounds like there may have been a lot of divisions in this church of Ephesus. And actually, it sounds like maybe the other group was looking down upon the Gentiles, I think that's something we all do at times. We can look down on other denominations, maybe those using a different Bible translation, those with different political views, or even self-righteous people. So it doesn't sound like maybe things have changed too much since the time that Paul wrote this. And I think we need, maybe more than ever, uh, what the church back then needed. So in today's passage, we'll be looking at what Paul says about unity in the church. And first, we need to be united in humility. Now, I don't know about you, but I often feel like I need encouragement or maybe validation you know, to know that I'm going along the right path. I think we all crave recognition because sometimes we feel small, we feel weak, we see ourselves maybe as less than something. Uh, let or worse off than someone. And it's great to feel validated, to feel empowered. There's also a danger, though, maybe of wanting more, to feel better than someone. And isn't it funny how sometimes our pride comes as a result of our shame? Maybe we feel bad about ourselves. And as soon as feelings or circumstances change, we can jump at the opportunity to feel proud about ourselves maybe even boastful. So I wonder, maybe, do you think it would have been similar to these Gentiles in the church that Paul's writing to? I think it's fair to say that in this church, there were a lot of poor people, outcasts, uh, slaves, those without much power in their society, without much security or status. And they were joining this church, receiving a new identity in Christ, and they were still being looked down upon by the Jewish Christians. So why was that? Well, the Jewish Christians, they wanted the Gentiles to join in on this long journey, this long story of God's kingdom through the Jewish nation. You know, it makes sense. Jesus was Jewish. You know, he fulfilled all the law and the promises given to the Jewish nations. But God was ready to accept the Gentiles and anyone else, just as we are. And Paul was very keen to make sure that this truth was not forgotten or overtaken by these so-called Judaizers. So that must have been great news to the Gentiles. And as we've been hearing in the Ephesians the last few weeks, Paul's been helping everyone in his letter to see just how amazing our new identity in Christ is. So it's amazing. But then here's the danger, the danger maybe of a boastful, maybe proud attitude that may arise in us. So for those who've been looked down upon previously, Paul wants to make sure that they don't use this new opportunity to now look down on their fellow Christians, to say, see, Jesus gave us such an amazing, glorious position, far above everything in heaven and on earth. So we don't need you. In fact, you're below us because you've been so terribly mistaken. So I think what the church needed then and what we all need now is humility. And it's, in through, it's through humility that we can all learn from each other. We can see past our differences and be united. So we see in verse 12 that Paul leads the Gentiles to humility by reminding them of their place. And it was actually pretty desperate. Not being Jewish meant that they weren't part of God's people. They really didn't know even what God had promised to the world. And uh, because they were clueless of God's promises, they had no hope. They were without God in the world. Nothing of what they were previously could have brought them favor with God. It's a humbling thought. And it's one that's still true today, for myself included. I don't merit God's favor. And this hopelessness of the Gentiles in their position, it's something that we see here today in Melbourne. There's many people growing up here in Melbourne who don't know anything about God or his promises to them or the grace that God wants to offer them. They don't know what it means to be part of God's family or to have any promise of the future, all alone without God in the world. And there's many around us in this situation. At the same time, Paul takes the opportunity to also warn the Jewish Christians. First of all, he knows that they were the ones who were calling the Gentiles uncircumcised. And Paul doesn't even want to use this kind of language. He says, by what is called a circumcision. So in Paul's eyes, We need to move on from thinking in these kinds of terms. Yeah, this way of thinking, this divisive way of thinking, has no place inside the church. And Paul goes even further, and he says that circumcision is earthly, made in the flesh by hands. And um, as we've seen previously in the letter, compared to what God's amazing work that he's done in raising someone up into the heavenly places, done by God's hands, this is just a small symbol. And um, it must have sounded pretty humbling to Jewish Christians you know, to think that their ancestry and rituals were insufficient to please God. So humbling to Jewish Christians. And likewise, the Gentile Christians needed to remember they were not to look uh, down upon their Jewish uh, brothers and sisters. A friend of mine who's gay once told me when I invited him to church, are they humble? And I was a bit confused by that. I thought, I don't know what that means. (laughs) But later on, I was thinking more about it, and I understood. Because many LGBTQ people, they're pretty anxious around religious people. They're pretty worried that they'll be judged. They've already heard many hurtful things from Christians, and they felt excluded and shunned. So humble, that's an, I like that word. Because if Christians lived out the truth that they're no better than anyone else, then anyone could walk through the door of the church and understand from the people that they meet just how needy everyone is before God, including themselves. The good, and the news is just as good now as it was for the Gentile church, that they who once were far off and far from God's family. Jesus' sacrificial death has brought them closer to God. And it's amazing news. And it's for all of us. And it's what allows us to be united to one another. And by ourselves, we couldn't do it. It took the most humble person ever to do it. It's Jesus that brings, us, brings about this unity inside his church. So this is Paul's second point about unity. We are only united because of Christ. Reconciliation in the church is pretty difficult, and Paul's honest about that. And he calls the separation between Gentiles and Jews a dividing wall of hostility. God's plan through Abraham had always been to bless the world through his descendants. And when God established the nation of Israel, God wanted them to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, in order to minister to the whole world. As a holy people, God had given them the law with all its ordinances. And it was meant to separate them, to set them apart from the other nations as a sign to them, maybe a showcase in holiness. In God's nation, then, the temple was meant to attract the nations, to be a house of prayer for all the nations. However, the Gentiles could only go so far. The inner parts of the temple were reserved only for God's people. So actually, inside the temple, there was a physical separation, a wall between Jews and Gentiles. That was inside the temple. Outside the temple was much more than that because it also became a wall of of hostility, discrimination, of hatred of Gentiles. So thankfully, in verse 14 we see that Jesus removed this dividing wall between Gentiles and Jews. But he didn't just remove it. He broke it down. And he broke it down by breaking it down in his body for us, his church. Currently in the world, there's a couple wars in Palestine and in Ukraine, and those who are fighting are sacrificing their lives to to tear down walls and bring unity, or at least each side has their own vision of what unity means, and it excludes the other side. But on the cross, Jesus' body was broken for all of us. Through Jesus' death, anyone can now become part of his holy nation through faith in him, a nation without discrimination, a holy nation and with new governing rules. So then, Why does Paul say that Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances? What does this mean? Paul isn't saying that we're free to do whatever we want in God's new heavenly nation. As Paul says in Galatians, we are not to use our freedom as an opportunity for sin, but through love to serve one another, because loving others fulfills the law. You see, through Jesus... You see, though Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law for all of us, the same giver of the old law still wants us to be like him. In fact, Jesus has given us a new command, that we love one another as he has loved us. So Jesus wants two things from us. He wants us to be like him and to be united with each other. And if we're able to do this, we'll be a group of followers who all look like Jesus. And this is the picture that Paul gives us in verse 15. So Jesus wants only one kind of follower, not Jews and Gentiles separately, not one denomination or another, not one kind of reconciled sinner or another. Jesus wants all to be one and to be like himself. That's what Paul means by one new man. And the only way we can truly be unite is if first we are reconciled to God. So that's why in verse 16, it says that we are both reconciled to God through Jesus on the cross. Being reconciled to God brings reconciliation with others. This plan is a great plan, and I think one that we can learn from. See, parents know that sometimes when children are acting out or misbehaving, it's not that their child is purposefully trying to hurt them. They may have a deeper need. Maybe they're anxious. Maybe they're scared. And their child may not recognize it themselves. And it comes through in painful ways. It's the same in our churches. Someone may be argumentative. Maybe they're slandering others. Someone may be very critical of others. But maybe what you see is just a symptom of a deeper need. Maybe they need reconciliation. Maybe they're lacking God's love. And like Jesus, we can show them sacrificial love with the purpose of helping them be reconciled to God first. Because I'm convinced that if someone truly understands the amazing love that God has for them, then that will change their life. And it's not just I myself who think that. Paul already prayed that the Ephesians know just how amazing God's love is. And now he's urging them to be united in Christ. Lest we think that we are the mature person in this scenario, in verse 17, Paul says that uh, Jesus preached peace not just to those who are far off, but also to those who are near. So it's for everyone. We all need the peace that Jesus brings. And if we understand that, then we can look at each other as fellow needy people that have all received grace. As Paul says in verse 18, through Jesus, we both have access through the same Spirit to God. So we're all the same. The invitation is for everyone to be united in Christ. We all have direct access to God through the same Spirit. And it's through this direct pathway that God's heavenly nation grows. So this brings us to our last point that we're united for a purpose to grow, not just individually but corporately. In any country of the world, there's two ways to grow. One is through old-fashioned population growth, having babies. Western countries don't seem to be doing a great job with that. And I can't say that I'm contributing toward it. But another way is through immigration. You know, it's not easy being an immigrant when your family and support system are far away. It's not easy to get a job when the job description says you need good English, or it requires you to have uh, work experience in Australia. It's much easier being an Australian, a citizen. Foreigners know that they're outsiders. They feel it. Most of them wish to belong to Australia to become a citizen. In the same way, Paul says that the Gentiles were outsiders, foreigners of the spiritual country of heaven. He's reminding them of their past sense of separation from God and from his people. They were strangers and aliens. Through Jesus, though, they've become not temporary residents or even permanent residents, actual citizens, and fellow citizens with the saints. But what's even better, they've become part of God's own family. In other words, they've become royalty. Now, I actually find this a bit hard to understand. I think it's a bit overwhelming. And I think that's why Paul has already prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, so that we may truly know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Amen. In verse 20, Paul switches from a picture of nations and foreigners to the image of a temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple was built in Jerusalem, designed by David, and built by his son Solomon. But in the temple that Paul's talking about, the person that sets the standard, the direction, the alignment of the whole temple is not David, but Jesus himself. And like Solomon carrying out his father's instructions, Jesus' apostles and prophets carried out Jesus' instructions in establishing his church in the New Testament. It's a temple that we all belong to. And Paul says that through Jesus, this whole structure is growing. In other words, we ourselves are growing closer to the image of Christ, but we also are growing more because of more people who are joining the temple. And in this picture, people aren't simply blocks placed one on another, side by side. If that was the case, we could easily slip off and the temple would collapse. We want to make sure that people don't just slip away. So I wonder, is there someone that you don't see here today that used to come here? Is there someone you used to be close to who you're no longer close to? Do you know someone who might be drifting away from the faith? If you can think of someone, maybe you can pray, take some time this week to seek them out, to bring them back. Because we all need each other. The church grows through each person contributing their own uniqueness. But we also need to be joined strongly together. Paul says that it's Jesus joining us together. He's our glue, the concrete between us. We don't become exactly like one another, but we're united in Christ. And together, we're growing into a holy temple. And just as God filled Solomon's temple with thick smoke at its dedication, God also fills us today, his church, with the presence of his Holy Spirit, so that when people come into his church, they can experience him through us. God wants his church to be his dwelling place, a place where people can experience him in humble and united fellowship. And the church will grow. We're united to grow. So let me ask you, who's missing from the church here today? Who was missing earlier when you thought of your perfect church? Jesus came and preached peace to those far off as well as those near. And likewise, we should be peacemakers. Now, I don't know the Pascovale suburb very well, so I don't know what it means to preach to those who are far off. I don't know what that means here in Pascoville. It may require you to be creative, proactive. Maybe reaching out to a particular group of people or starting a support group. I don't know. But I ask you to pray. You can pray uh, for a group to reach out to. I think just having a willing spirit is enough and God will lead the way. But let me ask you a more difficult question even. Who's someone near to you where there's been a wall separating you and them? Sometimes it's those closest to us that we have the most difficulty dealing with. And let's also be peacemakers to those closest to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the big picture in today's passage is that Christ unites a humble and diverse church so that it can grow further. So why did I say at the start that I hope your picture of the church wasn't perfect like heaven? Well, Tim Keller said in The Reason for God that if the church is really doing its job in bringing healing and new life, a hospital for the sick, then we should expect to have more than our fair share of difficult and challenging people inside the church. Because a well-functioning church should attract those who recognize their need. So you might agree with me, then, that the most wonderful and perfect church would be one where there's a constant stream of people entering who may actually cause problems and be difficult and troublesome, but who will, through God's grace, come to know God and be transformed and join a fellowship of humble people united through Christ. So if you want God's kingdom to grow here, I say be prepared for a messy church. It will be a sign of a healthy and growing church. Do you want a messy church? Well, I pray that's what you really want in fact i pray that's what we all want so let's pray thank you jesus for sacrificing your life to bring us all together people who didn't have much in common before and through you we can be united help us to learn from you to become humble like you and to be united in you so that those who enter may see it and want to know you, have new life in you, and be transformed. So, yeah, please bring the messiness, Lord, so that we can grow through you into a holy temple. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.